Hello. Log Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to BC Interruption Radio. Uh, we're having some technical difficulties um, getting the getting the interview with Brad Bates to play, so I apologize. This is Joe Gravelisi, uh sitting in for Dan Rubin tonight with an emergency at work, <laughs> so I'm going to do my best to fill in on his behalf. Um, coming up at 8 o'clock at the top of the hour, we will be playing the interview with Athletic Director Brad Bates. Um, I think I hit the button to start it too early, and uh, so here we go now. Can I kill time for what a minute? Brad Bates was nice enough to sit down with me and talk um, in his office over in the Akati Forum on Friday morning. Uh, he wanted to be able to come on live, but the schedule didn't allow for that. Um, and we were just, you know, looking forward to putting this down. Make sure this is working. Hello. Hello. Uh, we're joined by Boston College Athletic Director Brad Bates. Uh, Brad, thanks so much for for joining us. Um, it's really a pleasure to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely, and, you know, we appreciate you taking the time to answer our questions. So, don't want to take up too much of your time. So, we'll jump right into it. Um, the number one hot topic with fans on the site right now is definitely football scheduling. Um, this year, with having two FCS games, and the next year the schedule looks like it's not going to have a, a Power Five non-conference opponent on it. Uh, was this sort of a deliberate strategy to try to maybe give a rebuilding team a softer schedule, or was it a result of circumstances and ideally you would have wanted to have a, a Power Five opponent on the schedule? Well, this year I think uh, you probably are aware we got in the bind because New Mexico State pulled out of a mm-hmm. contracted game for us, and they were willing <clears throat> to pay the buyout because they had overscheduled. It's clearly not a situation that we wanted at all. Um, but having said that, it is what it is, and, and we knew what we had going into the season after they notified us, and, and uh, here we are. Next year, yeah, every year we'd like to have a Power 5 conference school. Uh, but to your point, there are a lot of layers to this, and the layers are, uh, first of all, we need to find teams that want to play us. You know, the, the turnaround in the football program is really 
um, caused a lot of teams to pause a little bit. They're not as excited to play us as they might have been three years ago. Uh, the second thing is we've got to make the dates work out. We have a limited number of dates that the ACC gives us to schedule non-conference games, so we've got to make sure they align with whatever opponents we're trying to line up. Uh, there is some consideration to the, the having a young team and the rebuilding efforts, but that's not the driving force because we really want to challenge our teams. We want to put them in a position where they're going to compete for championships. And so going forward, as you know, in 2017, we have to start, or, or we have to have a Power 5 team as one of the non-conference. Clearly, we're going to satisfy that ACC requirement, and we're having those conversations right now. Great. And, you know, have, for next year, was there outreach to certain Power 5 teams, and it just didn't work out? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. I, I assume that maybe some of those might be private conversations, but, you know, I don't, um, I guess that's one thing people were curious about. Um so we had an alum, Philip Lascalzo, send in a question. Uh, he lives out in the Bay Area and wants to know if there's a good chance of BC returning to the West Coast in the next couple of years. Uh, I would say that good, good chance is probably a little too strong. I would say we're having conversations with West Coast teams, and it's clearly an area that our football program is recruiting harder, mm -hmm. and so having visibility out West would be a good thing for the program. Great. Um, so let's talk about the, the UConn game. Um, another kind of hotly debated topic. Um, how did that come into being? Was it a long process of, you know, both schools really wanted that game for a while, or was it a result of, you know, we really need a game for next year, so let's pull some strings and, and try to make that happen? Uh, well, nothing's official yet. Oh, okay. There's still some things that uh, have to be worked out um, if that's going to take place. Mm -hmm. But having said that, um, we... The athletic director at UConn and I have known each other for a long time. It's a conversation we had shortly after I arrived here. He was already at UConn. At the time, we weren't ready to venture into that. I wasn't here when uh, we had the separation and when we moved to the ACC, but I know there are still a lot of existing scars that remain from that period of time. Um, and so, really, it was more an internal decision for Boston College to decide whether that's a game we wanted to play or not. Mm -hmm. Um, as we worked through the primary issues, we really felt like it would be a great opportunity for Boston College. Clearly, um, it's going to help us in terms of attendance and interest. It's going to generate publicity. It's certainly good for New England, and it's going to um, create, I think, a lot of visibility and discussion because of the historical rivalry that we've had with them. So we're really excited about the possibility. Great. Um, and you mentioned earlier, you know, scheduling involves a lot of moving pieces, so you don't really get to, you know, snap your fingers and get the schedule you wanted. But, you know, let's pretend for a second that it was like a, uh, the video games that aren't allowed to exist anymore, and you could just kind of go in and pick the teams. You know, what does it look? What does that schedule look like to you if you're able to craft, you know, what you really want that schedule to look like for the four out of conference games? Oh, really good question. So, what we would want to have every year is Power Five team. We'd like to have a home-home series with either a Power 5 team or an independent or someone that's mm -hmm. going to be attractive to our program competitively as well as our fans. Uh, and then probably have a guarantee team mm -hmm. and uh, uh, let that other one kind of float depending on what kind of team we anticipate having in mm -hmm. any given year. Mm -hmm. So essentially we'd like to have at least seven home games if mm -hmm. we can do it and balance those other four games within there. Does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, it does. I think that, you know, there's a, there there are some folks that are, you know, wanting to see 
what I would consider to be suicidal scheduling that I don't really advocate for of like let's go on the road and play Bamba and then bring in you know Texas here or whatever and then there's you know there's a school of thought that which some ACC teams have embraced and I guess BC kind of to some extent has this year which is let's beat up on a bunch of bad teams and get our record over six wins and get into a bowl game I would assume that the desire would be to find a happy medium between those two yeah really well said the the marketing side of me Mm -hmm. wants to play Ohio State and Florida and USC and Notre Dame every year right Mm -hmm. the coaching side of me would like to have a softer schedule than Mm -hmm. that and so I think you articulated it very well you want a balance in there you want to be in position I think Steve because of his recruiting is on a trajectory where we're going to be competing for the conference championship. So you want to be in a position where if you're competing for the ACC championship, you also have a shot at the playoffs. And so that's certainly a factor as well. Great. Uh, how much of a role does the coach have in the scheduling? Is that more on your on your plate? Well, Steve and I talk about the mm-hmm. schedule all the time. So um, I certainly want his input and his feelings about games. So... And we also use him and his staff as resources, too, to um, sort of evaluate other teams and other opponents. And what I alluded to earlier, I want to know where we're recruiting. Mm -hmm. You know, if there are areas in the country that we should go play because it's going to give us greater visibility in that area, then let's try and target schools in those those regions. Makes sense. Uh, So uh, closer to home, ticket sales, you know, Ticket sales obviously have been way down in football this year. I think there's no two ways about that. I know it's an industry-wide trend that that sales are down everywhere, but it seems like it's taken a big hit at BC this year. Uh, How concerned are you about that this season, and are there certain sort of concrete strategies BC is implementing to try to address it? Well, very concerned for a lot of reasons. Revenue is just one of them, but for recruiting, Mm -hmm. for giving our our team a home field advantage, you know, alumni, when it's rocking, it's rocking. Mm -hmm. And so you're probably aware we recently hired J.M. Caparo, who came from the Brooklyn Nets. He's going to oversee all of our external sales and and uh, operations. He's only been here five weeks, but he's already had an immediate impact on us. So I think you're going to see a lot of changes, both structurally, internally, as well as data mining and target groups that we're going to go after. Keep in mind that two years from now, we host Florida State and Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And so we're really on an 18-month uh, plan that we're developing so that we have a waiting list mm-hmm. heading into that season. And JM's going to have a strong leadership role in that. Okay. Uh, so just a couple things, um, and I, I, both of these are anecdotal, but sometimes anecdotes can be helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, So the Florida State game, um, best crowd of the year, 41,000, pretty good, but you know, not mm-hmm. a sellout. I did personally have several of my, you know, coworkers at the office say, "Oh, I'd love to come watch the BC game with you. You know, are there tickets available?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm sure there are. Pull them up. Cheapest seats, you know, are sixty dollars a piece up in the upper deck." And that was an immediate turnoff to a, a casual fan who doesn't necessarily care about BC enough to to pay that to go. And then another is, it seems like every year with the Duke basketball game or the Syracuse basketball game. You know, BC tries to sell them as a mini plan, you know, where you have to buy that and two other games to get to go, which I get it, but then it seems like it's always the case that the week before the game, those of us who are season ticket holders for football or hockey are getting calls from the ticket office saying, hey, we'd love to sell you single game seats, you know, and clearly you show up on the day of that game and it's not full, and to the extent that it is, it's all away fans. Do you feel like some of the pricing strategies might have backfired on BC for some of these games? 
Well, we're not perfect, and mm -hmm. we're learning as we go. Uh, certainly, JM's ex expertise is going to help us significantly in terms of what we do going forward. Uh, you covered a wide range yeah. of issues, and the quick answer is we value the feedback that our fans give mm -hmm. us. Are, are we making decisions that we think are in the best interest of Boston College at that moment in time? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Are we making those decisions based on information and data and feedback that we're getting? Absolutely. But it's an evolving, moving target, right? Right. As you said, we need to have different price points mm -hmm. for our ticket sales. At the same time, a lot of our tickets, and as you, you know this as well as I do, relative to the professional sports competition, we're a pretty good deal. I right. think what we need to do is a better job of identifying different demographics that are predisposed to coming to our events and making sure we have price points that are attractive to them. Sure, and I'll just to, to offer a positive, you know, positive point I feel like that's been done effectively in hockey you know oh, I good. think that um, you know 10 or 15 dollars or even 20 dollars for a game like a BU or a Wisconsin to sit up in the corner that's a great you know attractive price point to a casual hockey fan maybe wants to bring a couple kids to the game I see it in my seats I'm in the cheap seats and you know I see lots of people who they probably didn't go to BC right. or maybe they did but they're not you know, fanatical about the programs, but they they feel like it's a good price point to come and go to the games. And I just, I, I've always felt that way. I, I do think it looks like basketball. There's been some good deals offered for this season as well. So hopefully good. that that continues well, for I football. That. No problem. Uh, so we have a suggestion that came in uh, to our inbox from John Lucking from the class of '75. Uh, would it be possible to dedicate a reasonably generous portion of seating for uh, Boston and Newton police and fire and teachers and other public servants to you know, generate some goodwill with the community and bring some people into the game? Yeah, John, that's a great suggestion. I know we've done some elements of that, particularly with um, men, and, men and women in service, um, but I'll pass that on to our marketing staff, so thank you. Great. Um, so in terms of student attendance, um, the shift to the gold pass and going through the app a couple years ago, how has that impacted you know, ability to engage students, and are there further tweaks or initiatives with that coming in the future? Yeah, I think that uh, that will continue to evolve as we get feedback from the students, but the quick answer is it's been a huge success. Uh, we have student focus groups of, who helped shape the initial introduction of the gold pass. You know, it's interesting. We've been in Conti. I think this is the 27th season, mm -hmm. and the the largest student attended event hockey game uh, ever took place that first year of the Gold Pass. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember the team, but it wasn't like it was Minnesota or BU mm -hmm. or someone like that. I think it was Wisconsin. Was it was? I think so. I think it was a the Friday night game. Two years Wisconsin, ago. I want to say, yeah. You would probably know. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to remember these sorts of weird things. So anyway, yeah. uh, the quick answer is yeah. I think it's been a huge success yeah. based on the feedback that we've gotten. We had a couple bumps in the road on decisions that we didn't completely consider. For example, uh, we had a lot of students studying abroad, mm -hmm. and we hadn't contemplated how mm -hmm. to give them points when they came back in the, the spring semester. Right. But for the most part, I thought that Jamie DiLoretto led a great uh, group of ours to introduce the Gold Pass. The other area where it's really helped has been in our Olympic sports, particularly those on the Newton campus. You just see a lot more activity over there with our students scanning in and acquiring points. So I, I think uh, the, the quick answer is we've been very, very pleased with it, but that's based on the feedback we've received from the students. Great. 
All right, so I have to talk about tailgating. I think that's inevitably tied to ticket sales. And um, I know that when you had your series of town halls, that seemed like the number one thing that came up on a lot of people's minds is either just restrictions on tailgating or getting more hours. But it seems like there's been you know little to no progress on that front. Is BC still trying to improve that situation? Well, actually, I think we've progressed a fair amount. Um, the regulations that you referred to, I think we've deregulated a lot of different areas. Uh, the customer service that was talked about, particularly relative to the police officers, I think we've made huge strides relative to how we approach games now, the mindset as a customer service operation. We added the Brighton campus tailgating this year, and that's become sort of the hot spot in the first four games this year, and the feedback's been very, very positive about that. And we've also added some non-vehicular tailgating areas in tents. And the feedback from that's been very, very positive, and so much so that we think we're going to expand that that concept significantly across campus in the coming years. So I feel good about the steps we've taken. Um, you know, there's been some things that we haven't been able to, to get past or approve, mm -hmm. and we'll continue to try and get that done. Right. Um, now, a suggestion, and again, I don't know how much of this is based on what you're allowed to do from the from the cities and how much of it is school policy, but uh, Sean McGeady, um, an alum and reader of the site, mentions, you know, one of his frustrations is arriving like a minute before the, mm -hmm. ga the gates open for tailgating and being in a long line with, you know, with a lot of other cars, and then by the time they open it up, it's a mad dash to get in and a huge traffic jam. Basically, out of our already, you know, two hours that we might get before a game, you'd spend 20 to 30 minutes of it in that traffic line and getting set up. Um, is there any chance that, for you know, for people that maybe have a pass that indicates that they have a paid spot, there could be a soft opening where they could come in and park, but maybe not crack a beer or open the fire up the grill until, you know, 10 a.m. or whatever the official start time is? Yeah, that's a great suggestion, Sean, and uh, it's certainly something we've proposed. To date, we obviously haven't been able to get mm -hmm. that approved, but, um, uh, you know, we're looking at any and all options. I think the circling around campus until the green light goes on probably puts more pressure on the neighborhood than it would if we had earlier arrivals and right. tailgating. So uh, I think what we've done wa more wisely in the last couple of years is gathered information so that we can present it to the mayor's office and and have an informed uh, proposal that has, um, you know, documentation behind it. It makes for a more rational argument. So hopefully we'll we'll be able to do some things that align with Sean's suggestion in the future. Right. Now, is it Boston or Newton or both? Depends on where yeah. you're talking. Right. <laughs> you know, right. some areas are Boston, some areas are Newton. Right. Um, and just one other thing on tailgating. I mean, it's it's an expensive proposition unless you've got a good group of people to you know to split up the cost. Um, and it's pretty much unless I'm missing something, seemingly impossible for people who just kind of come to a single game, maybe a casual fan that wants to come check out a game. Uh, is BC looking at ways to make the full game day experience, including tailgating, you know, affordable and accessible for, you know, a non-alum or a casual fan who wants to come check out one game? Yeah, and this would be very helpful to get feedback from your your uh, your listeners. Mm -hmm. um, Two-thirds of our fans don't drive themselves to the games. Mm -hmm. And so what we're really focusing on in the coming years is the non-vehicular tailgating concept. Mm -hmm. uh, the University of Mississippi has an area called the Grove, which is one of the most popular tailgating areas in the country. 
and we've experimented with a, that concept in certain areas. We have the Gate Eek Hospitality Tent. We mm -hmm. had one on O'Neill Plaza a couple of years ago. At the base of the stairs, we have some 10 by 10 tented areas. Mm -hmm. And so far, those have gone extremely well. And so we envision a time where you're going to have, uh, for example, potentially all of O'Neill Plaza filled with 10 by 10s or major hospitality tents where people can pre-order food and mm -hmm. beverages. They show up and it's already waiting for them. And uh, all you got to do is figure out how to get here. All right. So any feedback that um, your fans and our fans can provide us on those concepts, we would really, really value because those are things that we're discussing right now and we'll take to the cities in the next couple of years. Great. Well, for people that are listening, be sure to get those comments and suggestions. And I'm fortunate enough to have a, a friend who has a tailgate spot that we're able to, to share some space. But, you know, I know that when I have friends from home, you know, that might want to come check out a game, unless they're coming with my spot, they have no idea, you know, where they're going to go and how they're going to make it work for them. So it's good to know that there's, there's stuff in the hopper for that and mm -hmm. look forward to seeing how that develops. Um, okay, so in terms of the on-field performance of the teams, um, are there written performance standards for the head coaches for the different teams, or, you know, how are they evaluated when you when you look back at the performance each season? Yeah, we sort of have a metrics that uh, takes in a variety of variables. Competitive success is obviously a very big one. Um, retention and graduation obviously is mm -hmm. significant. So it ranges across all of these performance variables that, that should in every one be contributing to student development and student formation because that's really why we're here. Mm -hmm. We're taking this essentially athletic curriculum and sure we're developing better athletes so we can compete and win but at the same time we're doing that in ways where we're instilling a set of skills and experiences and knowledge that our student athletes once they graduate uh, it prepares them to make any endeavor they engage better than they find it. So it puts them in positions of leadership. So th across that, to your specific point of performance, mm -hmm. absolutely, we're talking, mm -hmm. we, with our coaches, we're talking almost daily. Um, we talk about rebuilding years. We talk about competitive championship years. Mm -hmm. We talk about how their recruiting's going. We talk about their staff and the expectations for their staff's performances. So all of that encompasses a regular conversation with our staffs. Our sport administrators are involved in those conversations as well. And through that comes an assessment on how we're doing. Okay. And then, you know, the two big revenue sports, with football and basketball, are both in the midst of a, of a rebuild, um, at different levels of the rebuild, I think. But do you have certain expectations for both of those sports as to what you want to see in terms of steps in the next maybe two years? Um, as you're evaluating those coaches and their performance that, that you want to see you know, a certain level of accomplishment or a level of improvement within the next year or two? Well, our goal in, in both those sports is ultimately to get in a position where we're competing for championships. Both coaches would tell you that. I think in the short term, the goal for both programs is to get to the postseason. Mm -hmm. You get to the postseason, you got a shot. So right now, that's everything that Jim and Steve, obviously Jerry's already there, Eric Johnson's mm -hmm. trying to get there, but that's our expectation. That's what we're trying to achieve. Um, and then, so was there a certain you know performance metric that was hit with with Coach Adazio that led VC to determine you know this is someone we need to lock him up with a with an extension? Yeah, I, I think the on the field performance, obviously taking a team that won two two games a year before to two consecutive bowl games, 
combined with his recruiting and uh, the types of students he's bringing to campus, I think that put us in a position where we really wanted to make sure that Steve was going to be here for a long time. His values align with the institution. He's got very high standards and expectations for student-athletes on and off the field. He's a very, very good coach. He's surrounded himself with character men on his staff, and so it's been really been a pleasure seeing him grow that program. Sure, you can answer this in a few, a couple words or less. Has this year shaken the confidence at all, or do you still feel like the program's on the right track? No, I still feel like it's on the right track. We we knew the first three years were going to be challenges, uh, and particularly this one for a variety of reasons. But I'm very, very excited about the future of the program. So here's a topic that nobody likes to discuss, but just real quick with hockey, is there a secession plan in place, you know, following the current coach's tenure, or is that something that we haven't haven't thought about yet? Well, succession plan, what does that mean? Are we going to name a coach in waiting right. or anything like that? Probably not. Okay. Are, are, yeah. Am I just blocking that out and hoping it never happens? <laughs> of course not, right? <laughs> right. So, yeah, it, you really, when you're an athletic director, you have to anticipate worst-case scenarios. You have to anticipate the future. Mm -hmm. And so that's a big part of the types of activities that we plan on and uh, hopefully are prepared for. Would BC consider a non-alum coach for that position, or is that pretty much the standard? Is the, pretty much every BC hockey coach, I think, in the modern era has been an alum. Mm -hmm. Oh, is that true? Yeah, since going back to Coach Snooks Kelly. What did the, there was a there were a series in the 90s where all of them... Yeah, so Mike Milbury wasn't, but he never okay. actually coached a game. Oh, that's <laughs> but, true, that's true. Um, I forgot about all, all the And then there was coaches, someone else yeah. that was in there. Um, let's see, well, there was you know a long time with Siklarski, with Cedarchuk. I'm not sure if he was an alum. I okay. think he was, but pretty much every other coach, and I think that's something that's talked about a lot when people talk about who's the next coach going to be. A lot of people block it off, well, who are the BC alums that are, right. that are possible? My, my quick answer to your question is, if all else is equal, you absolutely would like to have an alum coaching mm -hmm. that position. It just makes more sense. There's mm -hmm. more alignment with the institution. There's less of a learning curve. There's a passion and emotion attached to it. Um, but you've got to get the best coach possible for that moment in time. Um, but again, all else being equal, you definitely would like to have an alum. Makes sense. All right, so we'll turn the, turn the page as we start to wrap up here to, to facilities. What's the status on the master plan for athletics facilities? You know, obviously there's a lot of factors that go into being able to roll that type of thing out, but it's been in the works, it feels like, since before your tenure. Uh, well, the quick answer is we're, gonna, we're hoping to make an announcement sometime soon. Mm. And when it's in the best interest of the university to make that public, then we'll go public with it. The, what I would say, though, is don't assume that we're, we're sitting here and nothing's taking place just because we haven't gone public with a strategic plan that would include the facilities. Uh, we are charging ahead, going 100 miles an hour towards these internal goals that we set a year and a half ago. Uh, but there will be a point in time, and it will make more sense why, at that point in time, we'll have a public announcement. Mm -hmm. And this might not be a question you can answer, and if so, that's okay, but are the hurdles at this point more administrative or financial? Uh, I would say neither. It's much more that... When you're going to make significant decisions impacting uh, the future of an entire athletic department, you need to be very deliberate in making those decisions and carefully analyze and evaluate the impact of those decisions. So it's just been making sure that uh, we have as much information po as possible to make you know, the, the best decisions for Boston College Athletics. Makes sense. Um, so 
the head football coach has personally, you know, spoken out in the media about his frustration last winter for not having, a, you know, an indoor football practice facility. Um, did that increase the urgency to get that done? You know, is that something that's a, a very high-level goal for the school right now? Well, I don't know that that changed the sense of urgency one way or another. My third month here, you may remember the bubble collapse. Right. And from that moment on, we've really been talking about the potential of having a field house. Mm -hmm. So um, the quick answer is no. I don't think mm -hmm. that him mentioning something publicly increased our sense of urgency on doing it. We've always kind of had a sense of urgency. But there's uh, certain processes you have to go through, and that's mm -hmm. what we're working our way through right now. Um, again, hypothetical, but you know, in five or six years, do you think BC has one up and running? Or at least ground broken? Yeah, I, I guess I'd defer to when we have the public statement that'll be uh, forthcoming. Makes but uh, uh, the quick answer is I sure hope so. All right. Uh, Jim Hutchinson, who's a BC fan, uh, wants to know, he's not an alum, but, you know, a devoted fan, um, wants to know if there are plans to modernize or update Alumni Stadium, either by adding some more seat backs or just some more modern amenities to maybe spruce it up a little bit. Yeah, good question, Jim. And the, that'll be part of what our announcement will entail. So essentially it's to your point of the facilities master plan. Mm -hmm. And built into that is not, not only deferred maintenance and a schedule for that, but also what are the improvements and renovations for any of our facilities? Uh, interesting factoid that someone mentioned to me yesterday, one of the other BCI writers, is that Conti Forum is now the same age that McHugh Forum and the Roberts Center were when they torn when they were torn down for Conti, right? Where they will be next year. Do you? I mean, and I, and I know that the master plan is forthcoming, but 20 years out, do you think Conti is still a viable home for the programs, or you know, or replacement plans being considered? Yeah, a viable, yes. I think it's a little tired. There's probably mm -hmm. some improvements we could make in it, uh, and those are things that we're talking about internally. Um, so do you think that the university both has and will, you know, will continue to invest in its facilities to an adequate level mm -hmm. to compete for ACC championships? Oh, absolutely. And um, you know, for basically the, the reason why I ask that is because the only team that's won one since we got here is soccer, and they do have a beautiful facility, you know, over there in the and. and um, you know, is is the goal to get every every facility up to that level and you know be able to compete? You know, be it baseball, um, softball, uh, you know, obviously football. I mean, uh, do you do you think that it's possible to spend and compete facilities wise with you know your Clemsons of the world and your NC States? Well, we're never going to be an NC State nor a Clemson. That's that's not our mission. That's not who we are. Right. <clears throat> and we don't need to be that. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't need to look like those schools. Mm -hmm. Now, do we need quality athletic classrooms? Absolutely. Do we need play venues that are going to be attractive to our fans and give them an enjoyable experience? We absolutely do. But we have some inherent assets at Boston College that other schools in our league will never have. The quality of our education, no one's going to be able to compete. Not no one, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. We have an unbelievable degree. No one else has the city of Boston. There, there are certain attributes that we can continue to exploit and use as a recruiting tool as well as an attractiveness to our fan base and our constituents. So the quick answer to your question is, yes, we need to continue to improve. We need to have facilities that are going to attract top students to our institution, coaches to our institution, but at the same time, serve our, our fans and our constituents in ways that give them meaningful experiences.
All right. Um, just a couple things to wrap up. Um, Jim Hutchinson again asks, uh, are there specific outreach or marketing being targeted to sort of local New England non-alumni fans right now? And how does how much of a priority is it for BC to engage those folks? Yeah, Jim, that's a great question. And with JM here, I think you're going to see a lot more data mining of those groups. And as I said earlier, you know, really, it's a great intellectual challenge. We need to identify demographics of people who are predisposed to coming to our games and engage them. And it's really just work from that standpoint. Sales is work. And so there's got to be some um, intelligence going into the, to identifying who those groups are, but at the same time, it's engaging them and giving them a wow experience so they'll continue to come back. Uh, kind of a fun question. Uh, Christopher Skillman from the class of 2001 asks, um, it's been 15 years since BC last updated its uh, logo um, for the <laughs> athletics program. Any plans for a logo overhaul in the future? Uh, I'd be curious to know whether Christopher would like us to change it or not. That's always a volatile issue. Yeah. Uh, maybe your, uh, your fan base can give us some feedback on that. If they feel it's tired, then we ought to start looking at that, or if they are traditionalists and kind of love that 15-year logo. I personally kind of come down half and half. I am a traditionalist. I don't like seeing big changes in brands, I guess, for teams. Mm -hmm. But I also think that, you know, it, it looks it looks very 90s, I think, the current logo. <laughs> I think that maybe a little refresh to bring in some of the elements of the 70s and 80s logos might not be the might not be the worst idea. But Do some retro. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that that's, that's in right now. Um, the quick answer to Christopher's question is we, we're not having those discussions right now, but if uh, if we got enough feedback, we'd definitely look at it. Great. Um, okay, so some big picture things to chew on as we as we close out. All Do right. you think that major conference realignment is over, or are there more big dominoes to fall? I I don't see a lot of change in the near future, but I did, wouldn't have anticipated the big. 12 being on the brink of blowing up a few years ago either. It just I, I see a level of stability though, particularly with, with football because football has been driving the conversation uh, that right now I don't see any major changes. There might be a school or two that uh, finds its way into a conference, but that conference has got to be open to it. You know, the Big 12 obviously was talking about it last year without the playoff game, or the championship mm -hmm. game, and so if it's going to happen, it's probably going to be from a conference like that seeking to expand a little bit. And do you think that you know when all is said and done and the dominoes have all fallen in terms of who gets into these playoff positions, if it expands or even if it stays the same size, that BC's position at the that top tier is secure? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Great. Uh, being in the ACC is just remarkable for us. It's... Uh, you know, we're in a Power Five conference. We're in a conference that has some really good academic institutions, so our missions are similar. And you win an ACC championship, you got a shot at the whole thing. So what are you most proud of from your first three years? I don't know that I think in terms of what I'm proud of. Mm -hmm. I, I, I would say that it's more, this is a team. Let's set lofty goals for ourselves that um, are benchmarked by our history and tradition, all the people that went before us, and strive every day to realize those. Obviously, we're here because we want to maximize the development of our students, and that is probably at the forefront of every everything we think about. And I believe that winning 
is a major factor in developing students. And so competitive success is something that we obviously very much focus on. So when you look back at your, if you, you know, going into the future and your, whenever it is that your tenure wraps up here, be it 5, 10, 20, however many years, and you look back, you know, what do you want to have accomplished in that in that period of time? Again, it's not yeah. about me, yeah. you know. It's more about what Boston College wants to achieve and what our athletic department is striving um, to obtain. Uh, but ultimately, if everyone's proud of Boston College, proud to be an Eagle, if people are excited about the program, there's an integrity that is a conscience to the entire NCAA Students are graduating and making a difference in the world, and they're wearing championship jewelry. I mean, those are the factors that will make all of us proud, and that's what we're trying to do. Great. And then just uh, last thing, I'll give you a little um, a little open-ended, open-ended opportunity to offer some maybe encouragement to people that are, uh, that are feeling down right now after, I don't know what BC's record is going to be when this airs on Tuesday. It could be 4-4, four and four, it could be 3-5, mm -hmm. and five, I think. Um, you know, but as you evaluate the program and where they're at, uh, what what words what, what words would you offer to people that are maybe uh, uh, not on the ledge right now? <laughs> well, I I don't know that you need to be on the ledge. What Steve has done here in his first two years has just been phenomenal. Have we lost a couple of games that we needed to win or should have won? I think Steve would be the first to say yes. Um, but everything I see in the program and what he's doing is leadership. The trajectory of this program is nothing but up. We want to finish strong this year. Every team left on our schedule can beat us. We can beat every team left on our schedule. So we'll see what happens in the next few weeks. But, uh, you know, if we can keep the momentum going this year, it's not even an if. The next two years, we're going to be really, really good. And so this year is a key in terms of building that foundation and giving all those young players on our team some experience. But uh, be excited and support the team and support these students and uh, let's go Eagles. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank you Thank very you much. So much. Hopefully that will work. So that was our interview with Athletic Director Brad Bates. Um, I'd like to apologize for the technical difficulties at the beginning. Uh, I'm not sure if my little horrendous attempt to do an introduction came through or not. I kind of think it didn't. Um, so just to reintroduce myself, this is Joe Gravelisi from BC Interruption. Uh, taking the spot of Dan Rubin tonight, uh, who was unable to make it due to work commitments. I believe that I have on the line with me Arthur Balin. Uh, Arthur, are you there? Uh, I guess yeah, I'm not. Here. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm here. We've got Arthur. So it's uh, Joe and my Arthur. My mic was uh, not on. It's all right. Uh, here for BC Interruption. And we'd like to react a little bit to the Brad Bates interview. Uh, we will take your calls at 646 uh, 200 0446. Again, that's 646 200 0446. Uh, I was, you know, obviously there for the interview. So um, I'd like to hear your maybe your reactions hearing it for the first time uh, to some of what we just heard from Brad Bates. Um, I mean, I think there there were some, uh, some good things and, and some things that um, kind of made me react in, in a negative way. Um, I think um, the non-vehicular uh, tailgating uh, things that he was talking about, um, th th those are all really good ideas. And I think it can sort of create a more accessible uh, option for people in the Boston area who might be taking the tea in. Uh, I know 
you know, you take the tea into the game. So like that, that will be something that um, will appeal to um, greater Boston and that might bring more people out to the game. So I think that um, is going to uh, pay dividends uh, for the game day experience. Um, I, I think um, Brad Bates' confidence in Steve Adazio is, is well-placed. Um, I, um, you know, it, it, it's hard to, um, with everything that has gone on this season, to um, say without um, hesitation to have confidence in your head coach. But um, it, it's reassuring to me that he he is confident in him, and I think that it's an appropriate reaction. Two things that were um, bothersome to me, and um, I'm, I actually uh, messaged you during uh, the interview, making sure my mic wasn't on um, when he mentioned this. Um, as a student, obviously the goal pass uh, situation kind of sticks out to me as it kind of, it relates to me, it relates to everybody I know on campus. Um, I disagree with Brad Bates in that saying the goal pass was a complete success. It, it has some good elements. I think um, it sort of allows the students to kind of pick and choose what, what they want to go to. They're not locked into a full season. Like if they can't make a men's basketball game, for example, they're not locked into the season. So that in of itself is good. I think the goal pass app needs some serious retooling. Um, and I, I let out an audible groan uh, when uh, Brad Bates mentioned um, the increase in attendance in Olympic sports. That I don't know where he's getting that from. I, I think he might be getting that from uh, the increased check-ins on the Gold Pass app, but it's very well known on campus that um, the it, it's. I, I'm going to try and make it not like millennial uh, tech, uh, terminology. The way the Gold Pass app works is it uses a, the GPS in your phone um, to connect. Uh, sort of determine where you where you are. Um, so if people, you're, people think that people go near the stadium and check in, but don't actually. Exactly. In, in I fact, mean, you like kind of knew that that was a, you kind of knew that was something that could happen though when they when they put in this system. So it's obviously not foolproof. Um, I haven't been to a BC soccer game in a while, but apparently they get good attendance yeah. based on what's reported. Um, other things not so much, but I don't want to get too bogged down in this because I know that you know most, the vast majority right. of our readers and listeners self-included, you know, have graduated. So let's talk about some of the other things. Um, I'll say this. First of all, you know, I think Brad Bates is someone who, you know, genuinely uh, is passionate about BC, and I really appreciate that about him. And, um, yeah, I think that, you know, he, he really does have high hopes of being here for a long time and, and succeeding and, you know, doing things that he laid out. And, it, and I think it shows his openness uh, and willingness to sit down and talk and, an interview, um, you know, his, his ability to be open to the fans is appreciated. Now, that said, yeah. you know, to some extent, an athletic director is a politician, um, and you could you could get that sense through some of the answers, um, because you know, I try to make a list of you know maybe new new things that we learned versus things that we kind of already knew. Um, there were there were a couple of nuggets of information that were that were new things that I appreciated hearing. Um, the first being um, the exploration of the non-vehicular tailgating options. I think that's a great idea. Uh, I think there's real potential there. Obviously, a lot of it just depends on the price point. But if you could go in and advance, you know, and prefer beer and wine and food to be there when you get there and to get a tent, 
Uh, that's something that could be really appealing to people, especially if it's affordable on a single game basis. I think that's something that's desperately needed right now. Uh, right now, there just is no option to tailgate for a single game. And yeah, um, if you're not selling the whole experience, I'm not sure how you're selling casual fans on coming to BC football right now when the team, you know, is at best, you know, mediocre. We, we all hope that they become a championship contender in the near future, but right now they're not, and they're going to sell tickets now. Um, yeah. And without having that sort of full experience to sell, um, it's hard to do that. So that's one thing that we learned from the interview. Um, another thing that we learned that was new is that BC will not name a coach in waiting for hockey. Um, I didn't necessarily expect them to, but he pretty much, you know, put the kibosh on the idea that that might happen. Um, he did strongly suggest that an alum would be favored for the position. You know, that certainly would lead one to think that Greg Brown uh, would have the inside track when that day comes. Um, other than that, you know, a lot of the answers were very political. Um, yeah, I'm sure his hands are tied as to what he can say for all of these things. You know, I know that they have a process that they're going through for the master plan. Uh, I know that they have a process that they go through with the city of Boston and the city of Newton um, as they put in their requests for extended tailgating hours and, and other things like that to make changes. But, you know, you, I think that there's going to be some people frustrated with some of those answers. Uh, I can't necessarily blame them, although I think that, like I said, I, I understand a lot of it is probably limited of what he can say. Right. Um, yeah, I mean... Go ahead. Yeah, no, and, like, I, it's... From my experience covering BC Athletics, um, you know, I've, I've interviewed several coaches and players. You know, it's it's very hard to get um, a completely 100% honest answer from uh, many people in the athletic department. One one thing they're very good at is uh, sort of being political um, and sort of saying the right things. Um, it, 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 but you're right. It's it, it's it's not just athletics. It's 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 the school overall. You know, it's. Um, and anything that they have to do, they have to go through two towns, and it's 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 a bit of a process. So, um, you know, it, 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 I know it's frustrating for a lot of fans uh, that the um, that there hasn't been a lot of progress made. But at the same time, uh, you know, you have to uh, kind of understand that there are, there is a lot of this, a lot of elements and this goes, this goes for tailgating too. BC controls a lot of this, but BC also doesn't control a lot of this. And a lot of this doesn't fall on Brad Bates's lap. Um, so it's, it's, it's a very complicated situation. I just think everybody should understand that. I, w I will say that the answer that I found least satisfying um, was when I asked if it was a financial or administrative holdup, holding up the master plan and said, you know, neither we're, we're trying to get it right. And, you know, maybe that's true. So, you know, Brad, if you're listening, I'm not pretending to say that saying it's true, but I, I kind of find that hard to believe. I feel like it must be one or the other. When you're talking about something that has been in the works since before Brad Bates arrived at BC, you know, talking about the strategic plan and long-term vision. I remember when I was a freshman, um, there was talk that, you know, maybe there'd be a baseball facility by the time I was a senior. Uh, to watch the baseball team. That was, you know, five years ago at this point, still no baseball facility, obviously no football practice facility. Uh, you hear rumors from time to time that um, 
What's holding up the football practice facility right now is they're looking for specific donations and trying to get that funded. Um, so maybe that's the case. Uh, and if so, it would be nice to hear some candor, I think, about that. I think people would appreciate it. But I understand, you know, yeah. universities are bureaucracies, and I'm sure that everything that's ever said needs to go through a pretty pretty heavy administrative process. Um, you know, what else stood out as something of interest to you and sort of a talking point to go off of from this? Um, I mean, I think um, one thing that was surprising to me was sort of ticket sales and ticket prices. Um, I, I think Brad Bates raised a very interesting point that in 2017, the, the, the Florida State game and Notre Dame game will be at home. Um, it's kind of a bummer that I'll be gra- that I'm graduating by then. Um, because oh, I'm, shut up. That'll be sad. <laughs> um yeah, um, but you know, it, 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 at the end, first of all, they have to make ticket prices more accessible. And I, to me, I was not satisfied with Brad Bates' answer about about the sixty dollar tickets, saying, "Oh, it's not, it's it's compared to pro sports in in this town, it's 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 a bargain." Well, yes, but compared to just reality it's not a bargain because it's sixty dollars up front for one ticket for two people that's a hundred and twenty dollars there's parking you have to pay for there's getting to the game it's a nuisance and it's going and it's a lot of money um so like even though he can make the argument and say oh it's comparable to pro sports first of all bc football is not comparable to the new england patriots right now uh, you cannot make that comparison the quality of play first of all college sports isn't comparable to pro sports i, I don't like that comparison in general but it, just in terms of watchability, BC football is not anywhere close to the New England Patriots. Um, so I, I don't like that comparison. Number one, number two, it, it's 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 just a matter of saying that okay, better than pro sports, but that doesn't make it good and it doesn't make it feasible. Um, and it it's I I, I don't know I, I'm frustrated by the answer because it, it it's a real issue. And it's it's becoming in, in in a way it's it's becoming not accessible to a lot of people. And you're, I think I think the fact that what was what was he tens at FSU it was below forty thousand, right? Yeah, I was remember was correctly. It's it around forty thousand, but everything else has been below forty. Right. I think the. The fact that it was sixty dollars and not lower has a lot to do with the fact that the intensity wasn't higher. I I I think that has a lot to do with it. Yeah, I agree, and um, I think I have a lot more to say on the price point issue. We do have a caller on the line from the seven three two, so I'm gonna go to the hey. call. Seven three two, you're on the air. Hey, New Jersey. Hey, hey, this is uh Tom or Tommy K. Hey, Tommy, um, how's it going? I just wanted to point out just one thing that I thought was interesting. One thing that I can't quite put into uh, put into words that I, I, which, which prevent me from commenting on some of these crazy threads is that I think one thing that I noted was just Brad Bates' expressed confidence in David Azio, making it very clear and something that I thought he's made clear multiple times uh, that you know this is a big process um, <clears throat> to kind of you know, jump on that. I think that to because we kind of I guess essentially exceeded expectations the first two years. 
there is a tendency of this fan base to be very quick to be like, oh, well, why can't we do that again? Meanwhile, we have, as has been laid out there, you know, we have a offensive line that is absolute garbage. Well, very young. They have a very young offensive yeah. line. We have, you know, right now we're on our third and a half string quarterback, you know, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, there's just so many things that, frankly, if you don't have a good offensive line, you cannot do anything. And I think that, you know, as we've made it very clear over the course of the season, unfortunately the line is not very good. The only way they're going to get better is experience. And that's one thing we're lacking. And it's one thing that is was kind of, you know, brought up by Brad Bates is that, you know, the only place to go from here is up. And I like to consider myself a glass half full kind of guy. And uh, so I thought that was just one thing that was kind of interesting of note. Um, briefly, just while I'm thinking about it, I also thought, you know, he brought up the guy that they got on from the Nets that was doing all the data mining. Um, I think that's something that's awesome. I also think that it should have been done years ago. Um, I think it was a great move, you know, finally they're having a guy to pull the data. And I think that some of the older alums who might be listening right now saying, oh, you know, why do we need that data mining? You know, why can't we just do this or that? You know, I can tell you what to do right now. But when the fact is all these, you know, biggest companies in the world right now are using this data mining technology and we have some guy who was doing it for a professional sports team, I think that's definitely a good sign to have that guy working in the office and trying to find these groups that we need to, you know, target. Yeah, I yeah, I think you hit on – oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's Sorry, a better Joe. late than never thing. Uh Obviously, you would have liked this trip for BC to have been ahead of the curve. I think that there's been an explosion in using data to help with ticket sales, you know, over the past maybe two to three years. Um, but to see BC on board, I guess, is, is a good sign, although you do wish they'd been ahead of it a little bit. Um, just to go back to your previous comment about the confidence of Steve Adazio in the book, um, I've taken plenty of criticism for this on the, you know, on the comment sections or whatever. And people think that, oh, you know, you must be obligated to suck up to the athletic department or whatever. And it's just, it's not true. Uh, I'm not a, I'm neither half glass, glass half full nor glass half empty. Um, I kind of assess things as I see them. And, you know, I, I do still maintain that based on the first couple of years, I'm not ready to say that Adazio can't, you know, build this program up into a contender. I do think that if and when BC does have a team that, you know, makes an ACC championship game again and, and gets to a high ranking in the polls and makes a good bowl game, it's only going to be at the end of a long process of building, uh, building a program. I think that the last time we did have a really elite team in 2007, um, it was at the end of a long process of building. Obviously, Jags did some great things in his first year, but it was building off a platform that was laid for a decade uh, of taking the program from the doldrums up to being pretty good. I think that there's no one out there, unless BC is going to go get Nick Saban, you know, or go get Bill Belichick on his, you know, way to semi-retirement or something. The, there's no one out there that's going to be a savior figure for BC. That year three, you're going to be, you know, winning the ACC championship. That said. It's been a tough season, and a lot of things that Adazio himself has done are very, very questionable. Um, but I, you know, I, I would agree that I, I agree with the, the DAD that um, that just looking at the recruiting and looking at the talent on the roster, they seem to be on the right track. Uh, so I'm not ready to give up on that myself. Um, and people can criticize that opinion if they want. 
I, I have to imagine that amongst the non-comment section crowd, you know, a lot of the boosters and alums that are that, that go to the games and sort of are in the inner circle of the program, or even just season ticket holders, probably agree. Uh, I, I don't necessarily would think that you know a majority of the fan base thinks that on the basis of this one season that the Adazio era should come to an end. I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Um, well, Anyone? I mean, oh, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll talk. Uh, to me, um, I, I hate seasons like this um, for a number of reasons. First of all, um, the, the games are becoming unwatchable, but it's hard to get a read on, on the team. You know, ev- everyone keeps forgetting. A lot of key players are injured. You know, um, mm-hmm. You know, you you mentioned, you know, we're we're down to to uh, Troy Flutie after Jeff Smith and Darius Wade got hurt. Don Hilleman's been out. Um, you know, it, it's and I, I don't want to make excuses for, for Steve Adazio because you know Joe touched on Joe touched on uh, some like in-game mistakes that he's made, but on a bigger picture scale. Um, in terms of job security, you can't possibly make a, a, an informed decision based on this year. You know, you, you, he didn't have his number one quarterback available to him for most of the season, in, for the balance of the season. Um, the offensive line is all new. You know, if next year Darius Wade gets through the whole season or whoever is playing quarterback, uh, you know, we don't want to assume anything. If, if we get through the whole season with with few key injuries and these these problems are still happening. I would be willing to listen to the conversation that maybe possibly we should talk about Adazio at a more critical scale. But at this point in the season, you can't possibly make a, an objective argument um, saying that Steve Adazio isn't the right person for this program because, quite frankly, despite everything that's gone on this season. Despite the, the the clock management issues, despite the, the fact that they can't seem to score an offensive touchdown to save to save their lives, they can't. You can't make a decision based on that. You can't make a decision based on a season. If it was this was just the, the third of three terrible seasons, okay. But first of all, if it were to, if it were the third of these of three terrible seasons, he wouldn't have that contract extension. So this would be a very different conversation. And second of all, I lost my second of all, but. <laughs> it's 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 I, it, you, you got everyone's got to sort of come back off the ledge here and understand that this season is has just been ridiculous on so many levels and everyone just needs, needs to take a, a deep breath and think about this rationally. For sure, and look, there are, there are a ton of valid criticisms, and this guy is not a beyond reproach. You know, he, he deserves to be criticized for first of all the state of the offense, which in my opinion. Um, you know, I think, and I don't want to, Tommy K. I don't want to hold you up. Do you have any? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to clock out here. You guys can keep going there. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Thank you so much for calling in. Um, that was uh, Tommy K. Uh, calling in to chat with us. If you would also like to join us on the program, you can call 646-200-0446. Uh, we'll be with you for another 20 minutes or so here on PC Interruption Radio. In reaction to that interview with Brad Bates, um, but yeah, uh, just getting back to Adazio, um, there are lots of valid criticisms of the job that he's done this year. Um, I think that uh, I personally have been very critical of the offensive coordinator. I think that even with all the injuries, um, 
the level of performance is historically abhorrent, as I posted uh, on Sunday, comparing this offense to others in the last 30 years at BC. Um, all jokes aside, you know, I do think that Ryan Day was a very good offensive coordinator here at BC. Um, he was he in year one took a guy in Andre Williams who was sort of a backbencher under Gaziani and turned him into a Heisman Trophy contender. Um, then in year two took a cast off from Florida and Tyler Murphy who pretty much never played, and he became uh, a very very good rushing quarterback for BC and someone who was able to help lead the team to you know to a winning season, which that was an accomplishment last year given just everything that had gone on with the program. Uh, and then you lose him. By the way, just, just to give some numbers to back up my opinion, uh, I did a post about this on Sunday. Um, if you compare all of BC's offensive coordinators since 1985, so I went with the year after Flutie left. I think that's kind of the sort of modern era, I suppose, the post-Flutie era. Um, BC has had 6, 7, 8, 9, 10... 11 different offensive coordinators plus a year where they had no offensive coordinator in 1996. So I counted him as a, I counted the non-existent offensive coordinator as one. So we've had 12 in that time. And Ryan Day's offenses were the third highest scoring uh, at 26.95 points per game. So just, you know, by way of comparison, that was three point, that was uh, about half a point more per game than Steve Logan's offenses scored in 2007 and 2008. And uh, you know, a lot of people have been a big fan of Steve Logan, myself included. So the the fact that Day's offenses outscored Logan's, you know, ought to make you think about you know maybe what he meant to this team when he was here. He leaves, which um, comes in, and now they're averaging 19.4 points per game, which is um, obviously not very good. It's, it's right along where the offense was averaging in 2011. Uh, they had 18.2 points per game that season, but they didn't have the benefit of a 76-point blowout over Howard. And if you take that out, the numbers are very bad. So I think that's clearly a problem. I think that even with the injuries, the offensive coordinator situation is puzzling. I think everything from you know, which quarterback was going to play and what the play calls were going to be when the quarterback is out there um, has been bad. So whether you want to play the offensive coordinator for that or Dazio for that, that's certainly up to you. I think that there's good reasons to go in either direction. Um, but I know that in the first two years, they were able to take what was good and kind of figure out what the strengths of the team were, build around them, emphasize that, and they haven't been able to do that this year. Now, that and everything. <laughs> I, I suppose that's probably the reason why, right? But um, that's been the big difference, and I think that's probably something that Ryan Day had a had a hand in. Yeah, I agree. Um, I I think uh, Ryan Day, um, you know, we, we Ryan Day gets a lot of criticism. Uh, he got a lot of criticism uh, on on our boards, um, but I, I think right now he's kind of exemplifying just by not being there how good he was at BC. Um, I mean, granted, last year's offense wasn't fantastic, um, but it, it it did it did its job and it made them competitive. Um, and um, you know, I I would love to have a high powered offense. I I didn't hear that. It made them competitive in a year after they lost 
Heisman can't run back after this senior quarterback graduated. Yeah. Um, but, it off, but it did score 26.2 points per game, you know, and that's yeah. more than the 2005 and 2006 BC team scored that were both, you know, Matt Ryan, uh, well, 2016 Matt Ryan, 2005, um, you know, it was higher scoring than, let's see, what other teams? I mean, 99 and 98, it BC, it was higher scoring by a, a two whole points than the 2018 that went to the championship game. Uh, so really, I mean, you can't, you know, see the offense was bad last year, but you think BC is huge, never had a good offense. It was it was pretty good, um, and it was also completely oriented what it was before. Uh, I think that's what kind of talked about. Play to say that you know it's the same thing over and over again. It completely reinvented itself from what This isn't math, you know. It's not either call a run or call a pass. There's so many different things we do. Any you read any interview. So many different laws for the option, you know, to go into a power game with a different, um, different ways they would spread it out, you know, the different ones they would call, and you didn't know if it was going to be Tyler Murphy keeping it himself or if he was going to hand it off. Um, and so it put a lot of teams off balance. It was an entirely different offense than what they ran two years ago when it was pretty much smash mouth to give Andre Williams the ball, let him do what he was going to do, and then when possible, on a play action base Reddick, uh, the offense completely reinvented itself last year and found success. And that's why I was going into this season that even though they lost a lot of key players, they'd be able to, to succeed to some level. Yeah, if, if obviously, if only. If, if, if only we had a, a quarterback this year who had, who kind of created more uh, uh, lack of predict predictability in terms of the running game um that that would be really great to have well i mean jeff smith clearly is a very good runner but yeah you're seeing a couple things happen first of all yeah he has you know no time um the offensive line is not blocking well last year the offensive line was excellent uh they really yeah. you know, used extra linemen effectively with the tight ends blocking and all that and the wide receivers blocking um, to create holes and, and to give Tyler Murphy options. You, you're not getting that this year. So it doesn't matter how fast you are, how athletic you are. You know, if the defensive players are in the you get ball, there's only so much you're going to be able to do. Um, the other thing is with, with Jeff Smith is he's not getting his own runs called that often. He's not. I don't know whether it's up to him to call his own number or if it's whether the coach is doing but. You know, he's not, he's not doing it a lot. So, uh, you know, and that's something which, that to me has been puzzling. It's something why Christian Fitch is, I think, something that, you know, he's one of our folks to play, I think, when he's there and they do the speed. You want to call his word. You want to use him more. I feel I haven't really seen the the number of design runs they would have expected once they named Smith to be the starter. Um, you know, maybe they can't, but I just I feel like they could be doing a better job I don't know. That, 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 I think it all stems back to just the confusion about what they wanted the offense to look like to begin with, uh, which I really did not expect to be a problem this year. But really, even before Wade got hurt, um, 
it was hard to figure out during the FSU game what they were trying to do. And I think that's been the big difference between uh, last year and this year, scheme-wise. Obviously, there's a bunch of differences in terms of personnel and, and health. Yeah, I, I think I think you hit the nail right in the head. I just want to make make a one personal anecdote. Um, um, I think the caller mentioned uh, something about the guy that they brought in from uh, the Brooklyn Nets. Um, I wrote him. I didn't catch his name, so I wrote him down as a Nets guy on my in my notepad. I think I've been spending too much time with you guys. Excellent, excellent. Um, quick, quick, uh, quick note here. I see that UConn is right now beating BU in hockey four to one with three minutes remaining down in Hartford. So. Go get him, Ice Bus. Good job. Um, that's a you know, going to be a tough blow for BU. They'll have split the series with UConn, assuming they don't make a big comeback in the final minute. Uh, anything else from the interview that you'd like to touch on? And then I am going to go back to the ticket price thing before we sign off. Actually, I, I, I do want to go back to ticket pricing. I, I, th- I think that that's an interesting thing to talk about. Hello? Hey, can you hear me? Nope, no, I can. Uh, so yeah, just so you know, if you want to call in, we in the final twenty minutes of the show, it's six four six two hundred zero four four six. Again, that's six four six two hundred zero four four six. Talking a little bit about ticket prices, just to go back to that. Uh, you mentioned yeah. you can't really make comparison to pro sports, and I agree. That's first of all, it's not necessarily accurate. Um, the Red Sox, you know, were bad this year, but. You could go to most games if you go on Soho for thirty or forty bucks, and you, know, you can yeah. take the in there and you know make that an affordable experience. Even the Bruins, you know, you can buy a ticket to get lucky enough to get one of value for forty or fifty dollars. Um, I think that prices are probably going down on the secondary market with their tough start to the season. Um, but you know, it's not. $100, $120 to go to a game. And then Celtics game is pretty cheap at this point as well because they've been struggling. I don't know if the prices are going to go up this year now that they're doing a little better. Um, but to go to either a BC football game or one of the BC basketball games against elite opponents, like a Duke or a Syracuse or a UNC, aka someone that people actually want to see, is really not that much cheaper than going to a pro game in the city. Um, and like you said, you can't really compare the quality. So uh, I don't really like that talking point at all. Um, I do think yeah. that they, I am of the opinion that the university has made a conscious decision to maximize how much they can pump out of the high-end donors and just not care you know, what, what consequence that's going to have on the lower end. And I hope I'm wrong, and I hope that this new ticket consultant that they brought in that is going to – know change some things and we're going to see um some better pricing options for some of the games for some of the cheaper seats and just try to bring people in and, and get them involved because you can only go to the well with the same people so many times you can only ask them yeah. to you know, pay up four thousand dollars for a Notre Dame ticket or a couple thousand dollars to go to Ireland or whatever it is so many times you need to have a broader fan base if you're going to you're going to get good crowds even when the team is not doing well. You're going to draw a weekend and pick out. And I would like to think that Brad Bates knows that and that the new ticket guy they hired knows that. And I would hope to see, um, you know, just some, some ideas there to make it, to make it, because it really does feel like the ticket strategy is based around those who can, 
you know, paying the most at the high end, which is fine if you can still fill the house doing that. But since they're not doing that, they need to reevaluate what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, the reality is, like, um, people can make all the arguments about, oh, we're bringing Duke basketball into County Forum or we're bringing the, the North Carolina Tar Heels to County Forum. If BC basketball isn't good, no one's going to pay $60 to go to those games. It, it, because at, even though you, you get to see those teams, if BC basketball doesn't give them a good game, no one's going to want to watch the game because it's going to be a blowout. No team, no game that doesn't have the Harlem Globetrotters in it is, is going to be watchable if, if the, this, this sort of straw team is at least a little bit competitive. You know, it's... Well, sure. It's, well, look, I yeah. mean, that's a problem that everyone knows. The basketball team, just quality-wise, has been poor, and, and that's something that hopefully they're going to start rebuilding the program in the coming years. Um, but just in terms of pricing, you know, they, they no, need, like, what, 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 marketing, what the is, marketing side of the fence needs to operate separately from the, you know, athletic side of the fence. They need to market the program that they have, not the program that they want. And the program exactly. that they have is not a great one in basketball. So, you know, when you, when you sell tickets, basically at this point with how bad it's been at BC basketball for what, I think we're going on six or seven years now of the attendance just being terrible year after year. Um, you need to be focused on getting people in the door and getting them to enjoy, you know, coming to games and getting them engaged. Now, the best way to do that is by, you know, having them see a high quality game in a good atmosphere against an opponent that they're going to care about, like a Syracuse or a Duke or North Carolina. So when you only sell tickets to those games in a, you know, $80 mini plan, but when you sell, yeah. I think they had the Champions Plan where you could pay like $120 and get the Florida State football game. The uh, actually, I think it was more than that, wasn't it? $180 to get the Florida State you know, football was, game. You're talking about the, th- the three, was it? three game plan. You're talking about the three game plan yeah. with Florida State, BU, and uh, Duke. That was $200, um, if, right. if I remember correctly. No, and, and that's not going to get casual fans in the door. You know, all you're going to get is maybe people who are going to go to those games anyway who want to lock in their seats, but you're not getting casuals in the door. And I totally understand what they're trying to accomplish with that by trying to get people to buy tickets to more games. Like in order to buy Duke, you have to get, you know, three non-conference games or whatever, but it's not working. People aren't doing it every single year. Season ticket holders are getting called the week before the game saying, hey, we've got an exciting offer for you as a loyal BC fan. You know, why don't you take $50 a ticket to come to watch BC basketball get hammered by Duke in front of, you know, a crowd that's half Duke fans. Um, it's a story that's repeated itself over and over again. And, you know, I'd like to say that you know, maybe they've learned a lesson from it, but I, I don't think they have with basketball. I think that, that that's still a mini plan situation. Uh, I'm going to give them a pass with hockey because they do get good hockey and you do need to buy a mini plan to get the BU game. But since they consistently sell that out, I don't care. You know, when, when BC basketball was selling out all of these big games, um, how could anyone argue with them trying to sell them a mini plan to get people into the other games? But they're not right now, so they get a price to take a good anyway. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I think um, you know, if, if the team, the team getting better cures all evils, but um, I, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Marketing's got to operate, uh, knowing what what they have to work with. Um, 
the, the key right now, uh, I think, is to and this I think this is something that is applicable to a lot of teams, and I think you're starting to see it. Like with with the, with the Devils, like the Devils are the New Jersey Devils are obviously a bad team right now. They're doing a lot in terms of appealing to younger fans. Like they're they're doing a lot of sort of family oriented stuff to get fans into the into the game. I think BC needs to kind of emulate that, and I think that starts with bringing down ticket prices. If ticket prices I, I like to use the family four for example. Sixty dollars, sixty dollars for a family of four is is not accessible. Period. It's, it's not. It, 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 you can't do it. It's, it's it can't be done. Um, it, same thing goes for the mini pack. What they need to do is make ticket prices more accessible so fans can come to the game. And if they have a good time, they get hooked, and then we start talking um, about adjusting uh, your attendance. Um, attendance uh, prices as attendance starts to get a little bit better. Um, and now again, you know, like that creates fans. The fans aren't going to stick around if the team isn't good. But hopefully, in a couple, in, in like ten years or so, when those fans of age, will be good. Still stick around. Um, I think the, the the strategy to getting fans to stick around and getting seats, people in the seats, ultimately needs to come from the team getting better. And that's a Jim Christian thing, and that's and that, and that's something that Jim Christian and the program needs to work on. But for sure, yeah. But um, I, I, to me, I, I think I think the fact that ticket prices are so inaccessible is kind of create kind of destroying opportunity for the program to grow its fan base, sort of attract those younger fans, and sort of get them hooked early. For sure. Um, so I do want to touch a little bit on football scheduling since that was the first thing I had asked Brad Bates about. Um, and it's been such a hot topic. I like his yeah. answer, quite frankly, on the football scheduling when it comes to what his ideal schedule looks like, because I agree with it entirely. You know, ideally, you want to have a five-conference opponent. You want to have a mid-level opponent. You know, you're, you're going to get, just because of the nature of things and how it is, an FCS opponent, and then float that fourth game. That I agree with that. That's how I would do it. Um, I Obviously, he didn't have much in the way of details on um, how they went about constructing the schedule. He did say that they reached out to Power 5 opponents for next season and, you know, were were unsuccessful in landing one. You know, the process of that and who they contacted is obviously something that we don't know. Um, Look, it's a very valid, valid and important criticism right now that they have not landed a Power 5 opponent during Bates' tenure uh, to, to a deal. And it's going to have to happen soon. Uh, I guess you, if you want to say that, I think the Notre Dame deal was technically signed before they went into the ACC rotation agreement. But, I mean, that was yeah. going to happen anyway. Um, you want to see a positive sign that they're going to be able to get this done. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in the crowd that's like super, super angry um, about this year's schedule. I think that, you know, to me, the only opera, the only huge difference between, you know, a second FCS game in New Mexico State or whatever is you need the extra win to get bowl eligibility, and so that's what's aggravating about it. Um, but ultimately, they do have a Power 5 non-conference opponent this year with Notre Dame, and they also have a very good MAC program as the second game. You know, if you had just not had the Howard game and replaced that with – you know, any, whether it be UMass or New Mexico State or whatever, 
um, that would have been a good schedule. But next year is not so good. You know, next year is pretty bad. You've got UMass, UConn. Um, what is it? Furman is the FCS team. A oh, Wagner is the FCS team. I think. Wagner, you know, whatever, and then Buffalo. You know, that that's pretty. That's yeah. pretty bad. Um, there's really no two ways about that. And yeah, you know, I'm gonna have to take faith in his word that they attempted to reach out to a Power Five opponent and it didn't work. But if they're not, if they don't land a contract for, I think it's 2018 is the next year that they don't have someone scheduled for. That's going to be very troubling, and they're really going to need to get on that soon because these things get scheduled in advance, and they're running out of time to land a deal for 2018. I mean, I I think that I'd be very surprised if Brad Bates isn't isn't currently working on that, and we just don't know about it. You know, like he obviously we kind of touched upon this beginning of the interview. He can't he can't spill everything that that he's working on. I, I think. I'm kind of, for this year's schedule. I was in the boat um, that I was okay. I was okay with two FCS opponents. I understood why that happened. I understood that Brad Bates is in a difficult position, and and all, all, all that's all well and good. My biggest issue with the schedule is the fact that Howard was 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 selected, and I get the fact that his options were kind of limited and, and all of that. I understand FCS opponents are, are, are a reality and it, it, they, need, they need to happen. It's, it's, it's a climate of a system, yada, yada, yada. If you're going to schedule an FCS game, you got to pick somebody who's going to be competitive. That game was, in my opinion, I was, I was embarrassed to go to BC after that game because that game should not have absolutely not have been scheduled. Period. They they had absolutely no place on the field with each other, and um and we we talked about this ad nauseum um sort of off, off the site um and I, I know there's there's a lot of differing opinions amongst ourselves about that game. Um, but I don't know if there me, are even differing opinions. I, I think everyone thought it was awful, um and so it creates a situation where. You know they're really going to need to respond with a good scheduling move next. And UConn, I think, obviously split the fan base as to whether that was a good scheduling move or not. And we've we've had this debate on the boards. We've kind of gone through it ad nauseum. We don't need to go over it again here, uh, unless anyone wants to call in in our final minutes with their thoughts at six four six two hundred zero four four six. But they're going to need to do something better than that for you know, 2018 or 2019 and beyond. Um, so we will see how that goes. Uh, any other issues that you'd like to touch on in the final minutes here before we let you go watch the Mets? Um, actually, the power just went out, out in the truck, um, and so they're not broadcasting the game right now. Um, that they, They're apparently trying to get... They're, they're currently on like uh, the Fox Sports Live set talking about what's going on, despite the fact that we can't see what's going on, so I don't know uh Wait, how quickly the power went out for the broadcast and the World Series game is going on, but you can't see it on TV. Yes, basically. That's amazing. How does that happen? I don't know. <laughs> it's it's funny. It, 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 it's ridiculous to me that they don't have a contingency plan for that. But whatever. I I that they should, they should. I don't know. I I I I'm just happy that that they tied that uh, tied the game after. Michael Conforto and Joanna Cespedes just absolutely 
had a debacle of a play in the outfield leading to inside the park home run, which we're not talking about, but um, I don't know. I, I kind of want – in the last minute, do you want to talk about the master plan at all? Well, I mean, we, yeah, I think we talked about that. Um, yeah. I just – this is a quick, just a quick reminder that if uh, Fox wants Eastern Bias to produce its broadcasts of Major League Baseball, <laughs> it's available to do that. Uh, I'm going to be quickly going from BC interruption duty to Eastern Bias duty as soon as this recording is over, talking about the week that was in Hockey East, including um, Beavs lost tonight to UConn. Um, so very exciting. Uh, but okay, yeah, let's talk about that master plan. Um, Unfor- that that was to me the least satisfying of his answers of all the questions. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, oh, they, they they now have an MLB network feed going. This this is this is just fun. Um, I don't know. Like, and there's a lot of different opinion about the master plan, like and developing facilities. I know BC Hockey Blog is very in favor of. Um, a new facility being built for ice hockey. Um, I'm that to me, that's like the bottom of of the priority list. Um, to me, I, I mean, the fact that BC does not have a legitimate in, indoor practice facility in New England is mind-boggling to me. And I, I the fact that this hasn't this hasn't become a big bigger issue sooner is is remarkable um oh i think it is you a know big issue. i really don't think it's not no 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 I, I, I mean i no, I, like and i don't mean like a big issue in like everyone's kind of like ignoring it yada 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 um like the, the fact that it's kind of like it it's 20 it's 2015 and it's still not really resolved yet you know, well, the fact that's that the problem. Winter, it's not that it's not an issue. Well, the, 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 the fact that, really the fact that, about it. Yeah, the fact that the fact that winter in in New England's cold and it's it's hard to practice in shouldn't be something that's news to anybody in in, in BC athletics. So this should have been resolved much much sooner. Like, I'm, not, sure. even, I'm not even talking about when the, like I'm not even talking about like the, when the master plan was implemented. I think this should be this should have been done pre master plan. Um, but whatever. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that that's something that is absolutely, you know, when BC built Yaki and they did all that fundraising campaign to do that back about you know, 10 years ago, whatever, 15 years ago, it really should have included the component of an indoor practice facility just because of the weather. Um, especially moving to the ACC where you're competing against programs that have superior weather, you know, conditions that you're trying to recruit against. So that's a problem. Um, he obviously speaks to the need to have it done. I think that he agrees that it's urgent, and it seems like once once a master plan is announced, it's going to include that. I think that heads would hit the hit the ceiling if it didn't, and I, I expect that it will. Um, I know that you know they're going to want to privately bankroll that project, which is completely understandable. I know that there's permitting issues that you have to go through with you know Boston and Newton to get things done. Um, but that needs to happen as soon as possible, you know, and I said five, six, seven years when I, uh, asked him the question, you know, ideally you'd like to see shovels in the ground two to three years. And if that doesn't happen, uh, then it's something to get very angry about. 
I, I mean, then, go, ahead. go ahead. No, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's, that's all I really had to say about that, with the, as far as the indoor practice. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I know, it, it, it just seems like such a basic thing that I, 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 I don't know. It's, it's it's something that needs to get get done. I, I really don't have anything to add in terms of the indoor practice practice facility. Um, coach, I, was a coach who made this point uh, about um, the age of Conti Forum in re- in relation to McHugh Forum. Um, it was like it was coach. Yeah, coach made the with me at the point that Conti Forum this year is as old as McHugh Forum was when it was replaced by Conti. Uh, which which blew my mind. Um, McHugh Forum, obviously being the ice hockey arena that uh, preceded Conti Forum. Um, I know we, you and I, and and Grant have conversations about hockey arenas a lot. You know, we we all kind of in our travels go to a lot of different hockey arenas, and I have a more favorable favorable opinion of Conti Forum than, than I know you and Grant do. I I I don't I don't think either. I, I, I can't speak for either one of you. I don't think you guys dislike Conti Forum, but I think you don't like it as much as I do. Um, to me, I, I I think that Conti Forum, as it is right now, where the basketball team is right now, and where the hockey team right now is, like there there's their place in in their, their program history or whatever, I think it's the right right uh, venue for them. And as long as the facility itself is able to support those teams, I see absolutely no reason why Conte Forum needs to be replaced at this point. Um, I, I think that in terms of in terms of the, the, the production value, uh, you have those two video boards um, on either end of the ice. Um, uh, you know, those kind of add a little, um, those, those kind of take away a couple of years. Um, in, in terms of the uh, age of the arena, um, I think it's it's a good size. Um, it, it certainly holds up very well for BCBU. Um, I, you know, it's the right size for that. It's also the right size for BC basketball because I really don't see BC basketball getting any more than like eight thousand uh, plus or minus. You know, we, we talked about how bad BC basketball attendance is for a, a good part of the show. Um, so I, I, I really. Don't see a need to re- to replace Conti Forum at this point. Well, I think that the need question is kind of irrelevant because it's not going to happen, right? You need a football indoor practice yeah. facility. You need a baseball and softball facility. You probably at this point need some upgrades to some of the locker rooms and weight facilities. I think the basketball locker rooms and weight facilities in particular. It's been a while since they've been remodeled. Um, you need a new plex, which I know is only marginally related to athletics, but because it's yeah. more recreation, but, but it's kind of related because right now BC track doesn't have track, right? Um, so those are all things that you need, you know, now and a hockey yeah. and basketball facility is not one of them. Uh, I do think that Conti is pretty mediocre. I think that in terms of hockey, it's going to hurt us. Once Jerry York retires, as we try to recruit against Aganis, is clearly superior. Um, You've got uh, Mariucci Arena, is clearly superior. Um, Yeah. North Dakota's facility is superior. Nebraska Omaha's is now at this point. Notre Dame's is. And there's going to be a need 
costs or at least some significant upgrades. Um, but it's fine as it is. There's certainly no issue with its capacity other than maybe that it's too big. Um, and, you know, and for hockey. Even for hockey. I mean, yeah. how often does BC sell out the hockey? You know, And the other thing is you love having that good atmosphere at a, at a hockey arena. And, you know, unless Conti's full, it's, you know, when you've got 5,000 people in there, that's more people than you have at most hockey drinks most nights. But it's a little over, you know, it's like two-thirds full. And that, you know, so people come in and say, oh, geez, how is BC leading Hockey East in attendance? Nobody goes to their games. Well, it's because even when there's a good crowd in there, it looks, you know, two-thirds full. And that's, to me, yeah. I would much rather see a smaller facility that you fill more often, like Notre Dame's setting seats like 5,200 and the Kansas City's like 5,800. I think that's the sweet spot for a hockey venue. You know, I think 8,000 is too big. Um, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. I don't think there's any program that's going to voluntarily go backwards in number of seats unless they have to. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I think I think what BC has to be careful of in terms of baseball and softball is that if they if they build softball and baseball facilities, they're making a long-term commitment to, to BC baseball and, and BC softball. And um, I, I think they need to keep that in mind. Um, I I don't want to raise the BC lacrosse thing again because I know you're going to come all the way up to uh, up to Brookline and and be very angry at me um, for for bringing this up. But if if and I'm saying if if the BC baseball versus BC lacrosse thing has any legs, I'm not saying it does because I think it's it ridiculous. If it, it doesn't, it doesn't. It yeah. doesn't. Just just give it up. For, <laughs> it really, the, those two things are not related to one another. You know, it, it's 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 an oversimplification. And I've been through that, um, and, I, and I don't feel the need to go over it again. So refer back to my post on the issue. Um, the lacrosse thing is a separate issue, first of all, and secondly, yeah, I just can't, I can't see baseball going anywhere when it, it's had such a long history at BC. I, I don't think that they're going to drop it. You know, I, if they were going to, I think we would have probably seen the intentions for that by now. And I suppose there's a possibility that they might if they aren't able to land um, the new facility that they've been trying to build for so long. But I think that the facility is coming down the pipe. I think it is going to be part of this master plan when it comes out um, in some form. And that's going to end this discussion about dropping baseball. Yeah. Yeah, no, like, and I, I, I think once that happens, yeah, you're right. It, it's, it's going, like, it will end the discussion. Um, but I don't know, like, I, I think you build a stadium for baseball, you're making a commitment to the baseball team, and I think it's not unreasonable to say to, um, I forget his first name, Gambino, that you have this new facility, um, so our expectation levels are up a little bit. Um, and I, I think that a lot of the reasons why BC baseball is like me, there's, there's a lot of reasons why BC baseball is struggling. I think a lot of that has to do with, with the field they're playing on. Um, they, if they get a new field, their the expectation level has got to be up a little bit. And I think that's something that they have to keep in mind. I would agree. Uh, do you have any other closing thoughts before we wrap this up? Um, I don't know. I, 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 I just, I, I know 
most of the people don't care about this. I really wish that that Brad Bates had more of a realistic view of how student students are relating to BC athletics because I I don't think it's as rosy as he thinks it is. Um, like I I think there's there's a lot of flaws in the system right now, and I think he I think he, he really does recognize that. I, I don't think he. he so what's he gonna do? Say that it's awful? You know, I don't think. No, I, I don't. Right. Yeah, no, I, I get that. You know, he's he's not going to do that. But I, I, to go as far as saying that the Gold Pass app has been a success is a little bit disingenuous, because it really hasn't. And I I think it's it's very difficult to say that it has been a total success. Um, well, having I, having I said that. You, yeah. But ultimately, I think that the student attendance situation is pretty similar to what it was before the World Pass, which is that hockey attendance is good, football attendance is an excellent, and basketball attendance is terrible. You know, and that's how it was before the Gold Pass. That's how it is now. You know, I do think that the, they had a really good year with hockey a couple of years ago, but that was also led Johnny Gaudreau, and I think that they would have done well with or without it. But I think it's cool to, you know, to have this platform available and to try to incentivize people to come to more games. So I think it's a, a worthwhile effort. Yeah, to, to me, I think the the one thing, and it's going to open up a whole can of worms. I think the one thing that BC Athletics needs to do is they need to make a move on possibly selling alcohol in facilities. You know, BU does it. Uh, a lot of a lot of different programs does it. I think BC needs to do it because I don't know how many times I've sat in the student section. I've overheard conversations like, "Oh, are we staying for the second half? No, I'm sobering up. Let's go to the mods uh, and and drink." Uh, as as Chris Granderson sends one into right the right field. Uh, bullpen to one Mets um, you know like and I, I realize that that's something that it, it's listen it's reality drinking and sports in college let's just call it what it, what it is it's, it's, it's a big deal it's a big deal at BC and the fact that alcohol isn't sold in the stadiums is, is kind of pushing students out you know they, they want to sort of have a beer with the game and they can't do that, so they're going back to the mods to to do that and watch the game on, on their TV. And that's well, I think that's, that's, that's a big feel that way. <laughs> well, no, but I, I think it's it's kind of manifesting with the students in particular. I I, I realize it's not just like a, a student thing, but I think if beer was sold in the stadium, I think a lot of the issues that you're seeing in terms of students leaving early, I think, excuse me, I think that will make itself less apparent. Um, so those are my two cents for what it's worth. Um, as, as Well, I do think that you uh, are very unlikely to see that happen anytime in the, in the near future. Um, and, so, and I, and I, rec- I recognize that, but I, I think if, if we're going to talk about BC athletics and student attendance and what have you, I think the, 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 the topic needs to be brought up. If BC is serious about keeping students in their seats for the game, I think that's something that they're going to have to look at. I, I think that that's, that's a genuine thing that 
is lacking that's pushing students out. All right. Well, with that, I want to thank again Bates for coming on our show. I want to thank those of you who listened tonight. I want to thank those of you who make it through to this point listening on iTunes or wherever, since I know there's going to be like eight minutes of dead air at the beginning of it. Uh, <laughs> and and then times. the time I'm talking. Right. Well, that's, you know, people are going to have to deal with that anyway. Um, thank you again, as always. Uh, please continue to listen to the show each Tuesday night at 8, and the regular hosts will be back next week, uh, Dan and AJ to talk a little BC football. Hopefully we'll be reacting to a victory and you know, getting off on the winning track. Uh, if for some strange reason you want to hear more of me, uh, you can listen to the Eastern Bias podcast and you can follow at Eastern Bias uh, to get our hockey hot takes on Twitter. Um, this is again, Joe Grabalisi. Uh, who's joined by Arthur Balin. And thank you again all for listening. And I uh, will talk to you all soon. Have a good night. Go Mets. Go Royals. Go Mets.